Welcome to Sitcom Geeks. I'm Dave Cohen. And I'm James Carey. And uh, today, James, we're going to be we're going to be looking at uh, the state of uh, comedy. We're going to uh, be wondering uh, how or if even we're going to come out of uh, COVID. I'm sure there's not going to be any more lockdowns at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. uh, everything's going to be absolutely fine. And... Peachy. It's going to be peachy. Yeah. 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 And we're going to be, you know, everything's going to be exactly the same as it was uh, 18 months ago, only <laughs> or so. Um, I, well, I mean, let, let's let's dig into it. We've got some big news, as it were, BBC4 all change news. But let's, although we're making jokes about the fact that nothing's going to be the same, people still like comedy, people still like watching TV, and people still like laughing. So those those are fairly immutable laws of physics that I'm fairly comfortable that we're sort of... You know, we, we, we're not trying to persuade people to do something they don't want to do. You know, people like to laugh and they like comedy. And the, the UK particularly has a fantastic heritage of sitcom. So, you know, there's that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, and uh, it's just, it, it, I, I suppose what, what was happening, really, what was happening before COVID was that there was, you know, there were, there were a lot of changes that were happening. And uh, yes, people want to laugh, but there's the sort of changes that kind of aren't, aren't, aren't really things that we should be worrying our pretty little heads about when we're writing, um, but actually have become very, very important. Like, for instance, the fact that... Um, Mrs. Brown's Boys gets whatever it gets, six or seven million uh, or eight million people viewing it uh, every time it's on uh, in uh, in the UK. Um, that kind of cuts no ice compared to something like uh, Afterlife from uh, Ricky Gervais, which I've no idea how many people that gets because it's uh, closely we guarded. We will never know. Netflix, but I doubt if it goes much, uh, if, it, if it might just break into six figures, if they, you know. In the UK, certainly, of course, they've got a global audience. So they've got US and UK yeah. and Australia, New Zealand, in but, a way it's sort of, but yeah, they're not going to tell us because yeah. the awful truth is the numbers are probably quite small. But the crucial point is that those numbers are people paying a subscription uh, for that show. And, you know, probably... Another an extra fifty thousand people all over the world join Netflix to watch the new uh, Ricky Gervais show, and that's uh, that that counts for a whole lot more than the seven million people who are paying one hundred and forty quid for their entire BBC output or wh- whatever mm. it is now, of which Mrs Brown's Boys is one aspect. And they're not going to go out and buy uh, Mrs. Brown's Boys, the video, the T-shirts, the, uh, the the Netflix subscription. So that's kind of the big the big change that BBC was, you know, uh, that was the big populist. Um, you know, it, it's popular, but mm. uh, pop- popular isn't financially successful. I mean, that's the thing we've talked about a lot, haven't we, before, where shows that get very small audiences but win big awards, Mm. um, that's become much more of a thing. And in fact, Mm. just think about this now because we want to talk about BBC Four and the the news that's just come that BBC Four is going to be scrapped as a a maker of comedy. And uh, But actually, that's exactly the sort of show that does do well on Netflix, isn't it? So... um, 
What's the sort of show? The kind of the shows that they make on... For BBC4. Yeah, you know. Yeah, to some extent. I mean, I think just as a bit of a headline, we're really getting into it early. I'm I'm enjoying this. (laughs) No, no faff, all all killer, no filler. Um, I think, yeah, the the reasons to be cheerful, just to, you know, uh, to be tempered, because we we do like to do glass half empty very much as well as glass half full. In one sense, there is a huge appetite out there for comedy, and there are a lot of people who want to provide and meet those needs. Uh, At the same time, you are competing with the likes of Ricky Gervais. So, you know, if you want to show on Netflix, then they're going to not commission someone else in order to commission your thing. And that the other people that they look to commission are the, are the Amandu Inucci's and Simon Blackwell's and Will Smith's of this world. Um, you know, comedy writer, Will Smith, but sure. Why not? Yeah. You know, American, um, uh, wild, wild west, uh, you know, uh, Will Smith too. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air himself. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, in one sense, it, it's really, it is really competitive and you're, com- you're not just competing against other rookies. You're competing against the old guys, but, you know, you've got something fresh uh, to say. And at the same time, you've got the, you know, there's this frustration amongst some comedy writers, I'm sure, that, you know, some dumb old show like Mrs. Brown's Boys gets millions of viewers. And, but then there's, there's the other frustration that some show that you simply can't understand why people like is winning an absolute ton, ton of awards. And you don't have any control over any of those things. All you have control over is the script that you write and the decisions that you make to advance yeah. your career. Um, so I just think it's always worth bearing in mind the just getting everything into a into a proper context of it's really easy to get down about, oh, everybody likes this kind of stuff and it's garbage. Or why does everyone like this? I can't stand it. And everyone raves about it. Um, and, oh, we're coming out of COVID. It's going to be a disaster. It's like, well, no. But equally, you know, people people still want comedy, but it's it, it, there's a big marketplace, but there's a lot of big players too. So that was an it's an odd beginning rant, Dave. That yes. uh, you I, weren't fully expecting. So, yeah, I, I think, but basically, we let, let's just kind of take a step back here because the the, the 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 thing I wanted to start with was that sort of the headline is the BBC because uh, they have made a lot of very big announcements uh, in the last kind of month or so. And it just happened that uh, the the, the latest announcement happened to be yesterday, happened to be, oh, BBC4 is going to be scrapped. So that was kind of fresh in our minds. But let's just look at everything that they're doing. They are... They, they, they're moving BBC Three from back from online onto terrestrial, Hooray! which is good news. And they're spending lots of uh, money on it, uh, which is also a, a hooray. And you know that's money that gets into making programmes. Um, then other things, writers' room is no longer taking sitcom scripts. Boo! Boo! Thank you, pantomime. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there. but mm-hmm. the comedy put. The comedy department will be taking over, Hooray! and they already do the uh, they already yeah. do the Carolina Hearn Award, the uh, Felix Dexter, the Goldman Simpson. So there, there, there should be opportunities, uh, you know, more opportunities for writers. Um, but and, and they're also spending more money in the regions as well. They're going to give money, and, and you know that's that's also good news for comedy. You know, a lot of the mm. best comedy is is uh, is not necessarily stuff that is just London 
base. Mm. Um, yeah. But I, 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 I don't want to make a political point here, James. And uh, feel, feel free, because I might well agree with it. Yeah, I. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I think the BBC has been attacked by every, every government since Thatcher, and you know, mm. Blair was no better than than her in terms of you know bullying the BBC to try to get them to be their kind of thing and but this government seems to have really kind of pushed pushed it a lot further but mm. the other thing that they're also doing is they're making a really big thing about sort of britishness and identity and the union jack and it seems to me that you know if if you're looking post brexit for a kind of a, a british thing to identify what fantastic british thing is there I mean, the audience sitcom, uh, and to which you might as well say the BBC, because, you know, mm. give or take the odd ITV Channel 4 show, but basically the BBC audience sitcom is the absolute personification of the best of British in every, uh, you know, across the world, and, and everybody mm. knows and loves and, 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 you know, and Hitchhiker's Guide is another thing. That's a sort of BBC radio, you know, Little mm. Britain, all these shows, all, all these kind of BBC Union Jack audience shows. It just seems to be they're kind of, they're, they're, they're sort of these ideologies of, are clashing against each other. And yet, they're, they're, you know, we all want, we all, we all want to be proud of our, you know, mm. great British sitcoms, but they're kind of making it impossible for the BBC to do like the one thing that everybody knows they're absolutely brilliant at. Am I just being political? Um, I don't think, I think that's a lot. I agree with what you say. And I, I'm kind of fairly neutral on flag waving and, you know, people say, well, that's not my flag. Well, it is the union Jack. So it is meant to be all of the flags, but I understand that if you live outside of England, you don't identify with the union Jack uh, in quite the same way and may find it enraging and, that that's all for another podcast um the thing i feel so i think the bbc if they really wanted audience sitcom they could do it um they 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 could commit quite a lot of money to uh you know audience sitcom they could commission people who know how to write studio sitcoms to make them on an american system where you commission the writer and then you get them to come up with something and you commit to making pilots and all that kind of stuff they're not doing that, um, and that's fine. It's up to them to do what they do. I think in terms of their relationship with the government, it is it is pretty toxic and has been under Conservatives and Labour. I think for Labour to say they championed the BBC when the appalling treatment over the Gulf War and, you know, the Andrew Gilligan and all that kind of stuff was pretty horrendous. But And then the government do what governments always do of every stripe is they say, wouldn't it be great if the licence fee was free to older people? Great, let's have that. Government will pay for that. And then they thought, hey, BBC, we thought it would be a great idea if you paid for those free TV licences. How about that? Mm. Um, it's like, oh, well, OK, well, that's that's a third of the programme budget gone. Fair enough. Older people consume more of the TV uh, than younger people do. Um, you would say, therefore, that anyone who can pay for it should means testing is too expensive, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it is a political football. But again, you know, it has the power to create studio sitcoms if it wants to. Uh, I'm not fully convinced that it really wants to. I think it's sort of hoping that one is going to be sent from above, fully formed, um, you know, sort of arriving from the sky with angels, you know, uh, with all that they suddenly find the new Galton and Simpson um, or the new John Sullivan, actually. I mean, that's kind of what we're really looking for, isn't it? The next Only Fools and Horses, which yeah. 
kind of unites north and south in terms of you know uh you know loads of different themes of you know working class aspirational all that kind of stuff yeah i wonder if that's partly what the uh the regional money might kind yeah. of possibly do because you know you still still get uh shows like um still uh still game you know the the, the um one of my favorite show. yeah it's got from bbc scotland um yeah. And, you know, regions can do sort of small, you know, the sitcoms that are more intimate, I would say, but they are still studio. I yeah. Think. I mean, in a way, that kind of takes us on to BBC Four, because obviously BBC Four have, have effectively had that tap turned off. Um, it's going to be an archive only channel. And to some extent, you just go, well, the BBC have got an incredible archive. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you? You know, and it's annoying to me that the BBC made you know, the history of Britain with Simon Sharma and I can't watch it. You know, I've paid for it. Could you put it on? You know, so I bought it on DVD to show to my kids, you know, they've got this massive archive that they can open out. And I'd imagine the big problem with that is all of the broadcast agreements were written before the internet. Mm. Um, and what's really interesting, just this complete, complete side note about pre-internet. I'm reading a book by um, the author of, um, Ender's Game, and there's a sci-fi science fiction writer called Orson S Scott Wells or something. Um, and the book is about how to write science fiction and fantasy. Right. And it was written in about 1990. And this science fiction writer has no idea <laughs> that the internet is coming. And the way he's describing the industry, the, the industry in terms of you submit short stories to magazines and all this kind of stuff yeah. is really interesting. Mm. Um, but, you know, even as late as 1990, which is not that long ago, it was only 30 years ago, hmm. really decent TV shows were being knocked out. And and they all came with back-end licenses, musical agreements, appearance fees, you know, all these kinds of stuff. And then to kind of turn that into an iPlayer license is probably a lot of money and work. It's probably cheaper just to make another show. Yeah. Um, so, um, so they've got all this archive uh, they're, they're sitting on. Um, and they could do something with. And I think, uh, so I, I that's, think, that's yeah. an upside of BBC Four. Yeah, I think I, I sent uh, I sent you an article, didn't I, about that? That's where yeah. they've um, they are actually putting hundreds of hours of uh, comedy back onto onto iPlayer, uh, and and will be sharing in the archive as well. Um, I mean, and that that's another interesting thing is that the uh, uh, development as some um, they just they were just starting to sort of roll out um, BritBox when the uh, when COVID happened, and BritBox mm. is our kind of uh, it, national attempt to kind of uh, compete with Netflix and Disney Plus or whatever. It's sort of BBC and ITV, and you know, so they are making stuff like the the, the, the two series of Spitting Image uh, so far that have been commissioned. And, you know, that show has been commissioned because it got a lot of uh, subscriptions. And that, you know, you kind of wonder if, uh, and, and, you know, I, I can, a lot of people have said, well, you know, the license fee is not sustainable. But, you know, may, maybe there is a, a model. You know, the BBC has been a kind of... Uh, kind of sort of fudge fudge of a model probably yeah. the day it was started so yeah. you know it's nothing to say well in the same way that bbc worldwide in the 80s and 90s became mm. this kind of uh huge corporate arm that just made millions for the bbc with exports but we could still say oh it's still the kind of license fee 
but I don't see why there couldn't be maybe a kind of subscription uh, arm mm. to the BBC yeah. kind of based around iPlayer, a world, a world thing that would just be, you know, a massive money spinner, I'm sure of it. Yeah. I mean, BBC Worldwide would say, well, that's what we do. We're making loads of money for the BBC. And you think, well, I, I don't know. I always think they could be generating a bit more. But given the huge archive of the BBC, um, just a side note again, uh, and I'll come back on to BBC Four in a second because that I've, I've, I've forgot why I started that oh, yeah, uh, aside. That as well. But if you're interested, so the, the BBC is undoubtedly anomalous in so many ways, very much like another organisation that I cherish, which is the, um, the Church of England, yeah. uh, which was sort of formed in 597 um, and sort of reformed in, you know, with the Norman invasion uh, and uh, with the Reformation and then with the English Civil War. Um but if you're interested in going back into uh, the BBC and what, how it came to exist, our friend of the show, Paul Carenza, has a podcast called The British Broadcasting Century, which goes right back to the beginning of the BBC when it was literally four people in a room uh, with extremely contrasting views on what the BBC actually was um, in terms of is this the provider of uh, of radio sets or is this something that will educate inform and entertain or uh, whatever it is so anyway uh, if you if you're interested in how on earth the bbc came to be i think paul would uh, be able to fill you in on some of that um but the point i was going to make about bbc4 uh, that was sparked off the regions so b- the bbc regions are usually making comedy on smaller budgets normally and bbc4 historically has also made money on smaller budgets yeah and the reason that the thick of it exists is because Armando Inichi worked out how to, you know, really maximise a BBC Four budget and make three episodes as a pilot, I think, or something like that. Um, shot it really, really cheap um, and, that, and made a feature of it. And so the BBC, BBC Four, I think, has been a really good home to kind of low budget, low risk comedy yeah. that wasn't being broadcast on BBC One at nine o'clock, it was sort of tucked away and you had almost permission to fail. And the irony is, of course, BBC Four didn't fail. They really don't have very many sitcoms that literally vanished without trace. There's only about one or two that are probably borderline. One would be Freezing, uh, which was a sitcom starring uh, Tom Hollander, um, about a sort of a Hollywood movie star and an agent, Hugh Bonneville uh, and Elizabeth McGovern, Blimey. you know, pre uh, uh, pre uh, thingy, what's it called, Downton. Hmm. But you've also got shows like Bob Servant, The Detectorists. Uh, you've got uh, Getting On. Yeah. You've got uh, Lead Balloon. Uh, you've you've got the thick of it. You've got Up the Women, which transferred to BBC Two, I think, oh, and really? you've got Twenty Twelve. The a show which was majestic, which was not recommissioned, was a show called The Walshes, which Graham Linehan oh, had a bit yes. of a hand in um, with regard. And there was a group called The Diet of Worms. Yeah. Um, it was really funny. I loved The Walshes. That was oh, funny. three episodes. And it just felt like, hey, here's a new family sitcom that's completely bonkers, but completely real. Yeah. Um, so... BBC Four has a better comedy track record of any channel, I would say, in UK TV history. So it's a, it's Let's a shame. It. <laughs> yeah, I can totally understand why they've done it. But 
It's a shame, isn't it? I'm wondering. So, so what I'm thinking, and, and I've been sort of writing about this, and, and just think about the BBC and what what the, the the problem the BBC has always had, I think, is that it, because it's the, for the, the national broadcaster, it has to be everything to everyone. And uh, so, you know, it's kids, it's education, it's culture, it's radio, it's all this. And, you know, somebody say, somebody at some point must have said, okay, we can't be for everyone. Okay, all right. Well, who, who, is, who is the, uh, the, the, the group that we can uh, get rid of and, and, you know, least get into trouble with the government for getting rid of? I know they're kind of uh, the... BBC Four, that's like sort of, it's like Radio Four, isn't it? It's a sort mm. of uh, uh, wishy-washy, middle-class comedy people. You know, they not, they don't have any uh, say on stuff. So maybe that's that's why. Uh, but I, I mean, I'm, that's slightly cynical. But BBC yeah. Three definitely brings the BBC an audience that they don't otherwise get. And so, you know, I could definitely see a very powerful yeah. argument for saying, well, look, it's got to be BBC Three or BBC Four. We're going yeah. to have to choose one. I can see the argument for choosing Three over Four on that basis. But yeah. uh, and virtually everything on Four should have been commissioned by BBC Two in the first place. Well, exactly. You know, that's so uh, you've you already have BBC Two. So what's this BBC Four business? Yeah. Um, in fact, so, I was a bit surprised then when you said lead balloon because I was thinking, wasn't that BBC Two? And then I did remember, yeah, it was hmm. BBC Four. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what risk is there for BBC Two commissioning a sitcom with Jack D in it? There's a limit to how bad it's going to be in a worst case scenario. Um, and so, you know, all so, you know, I can still remember for me, a golden age of comedy was the, you know, early 90s, mid 90s, where you've got BBC Two and Channel Four really competing with each other, yeah. um, taking some pretty big risks. And some of them vanished without trace. Some of them were perfectly good and are now forgotten. Some of them probably look very different with hindsight. Um, so, you know, it feels like there's a bit of a loss of nerve there. And maybe this will mean that BBC Two, to quote, uh, to quote Bertie Wooster, you know, whack up the ginger to take a few more risks. You know, that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. How do you think? I mean, so uh, just, just to, uh, while we're still on the beat, we'll stay on the BBC for now. Just thinking about, you know, coming out of COVID and, uh, you know, they've got hopefully they'll be able to make shows. I mean, fantastically expensive making shows during COVID. I was, I've been uh, was chatting to uh, Caroline Norris, who's who was the uh, who's the producer on Motherland. Oh, right. They were filming. Uh, they, they sort of committed to filming uh, during COVID. And they, uh, instead of just uh, filming in a house and they're having like the back rooms of the house being where all the, you know, makeup and costumes, they had to, they had to have like four houses because uh, they could, they had to, they could only film in one, and they ha could only mm. have so many people, like the costume people, in in another, and they had to have Ugh. the makeup in another, and it's just like fantastically expensive. So yeah. uh, that's going to be uh, that's going to bring some more cuts possibly in the future. But yeah, I, the, but this this too shall pass. Um, yeah. But I mean, in a way, it's tricky to see where comedy. The other great perennial problem with comedy, and the reason why it further muddies the comedy drama debate. You know, what is comedy drama? Um, I've, you know, Dave's written about it. I've done a video about it. Um, if you uh, dig around on my 
YouTube channel, The Situation Room, you'll find a link to it somewhere and it's a, you know, you have to register for it, but it's free. Um, but the thing about comedy, you know, what's the difference between a comedy and a comedy drama? About 200 grand an hour yeah. is the, is the answer. Absolutely. Yeah. And so firstly, a comedy drama could be an hour and a comedy is just, is going to be half an hour to, to some extent. Yeah. And also your budget for a comedy drama is just going to be more because, because if it's coming out of drama, dramas just cost more money apparently for some reason. Mm. Um, I think it's because they pay people more for drama. <laughs> I think that's possibly what, what it's about. But I think, all, I, I, and you know, they make drama look bigger. I remember when we were talking to Stephen Moffat and he was saying about how, you know, how hard it's become now uh, because you are, when you're kind of making drama now, you're competing with, you know, Netflix and, yeah. you know, uh, Disney Plus or whatever. And they, you know, you watch a, a show on Netflix and there are yeah. a cast of 15, you know, and yeah. you're lucky to get five on a on a British show. And, you know, there's extras and there's big scenes, there's amazing well, stuff, you know. Uh, I just watched the, um, I mean, I just watched The Terror um, on BBC Two and I started watching it just going, oh, this looks good. And then you start watching it going, this looks incredibly expensive. How did this end? How did BBC Two pay for this? Like a little light Googling. Oh, it's not a BBC show. Right. It's an AMC show from 2018. Um and the BBC have bought it. I mean, fair, full, fair play to them. Mm. It looks like a British show because every single person in it is British right. um, or Irish. Um, and it was, it was terrific. It's not my cup of tea normally. And it wasn't terribly yeah. funny. And that, not everything has to be funny. But it just looked really expensive. Yeah. Um, and, with, and you just think, isn't it a shame that the BBC sort of can't quite do that because they sort of feel like they need to do stuff on their own and I, and everything's sort of going either super expensive or super cheap and i just the middle i think is really hard and that's where an awful lot of comedy has come from is actually you yeah. know the middle i think that was the big change that was sort of happening before covid and has yeah. been accelerated really and i think that's definitely a massive change is that we think about uh, the, the the people you know the the, the you've mentioned Armando uh, and then you've got say someone like Jimmy Mulville who's head of Hattrick you've got Phil Clark who's head of Objective and Objective are now they're opening their office in LA mm. um, and these are these are all people who began their careers as tra uh, trainee radio producers like yes. Lisa who we had on uh, the other ship the other week yeah and um, you know that those where are those people going to come from I mean, i'm sure there'll be very talented people who'll come through sky shows or whatever but nobody is getting that kind of incredible sort of training that lissa talked about the other week where you just you know you, you're in the office from monday to friday and you're making you're making like two or three shows a week mm. you know some something you've developed but you know, you're making panel show one day you're making a, a parlor game show yeah. the next you're making a sitcom the next and from a writing point of view, that's, you know, that has traditionally been uh, the the training ground for 50, 60, 70 percent of successful sitcom writers. Yeah, yeah. That, that, you know, you still get a few. And I'm pleased to say I watched Trying on Apple uh, TV, Apple Plus, yeah. written by Andy Walton, 
who, you know, basically worked his way up through BBC Radio doing, you know, panel games and uh, joke, writing jokes for the news quiz and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, he's done TV and stuff as well. And uh, but yeah, I mean, that he's it can be done that way. I'm, I'm watching it on Apple, just thinking, how on earth is this show on Apple? Um, this just feels like in some ways a really nicely traditional a nicely traditional sort of comedy drama comedy, proper funny, uh, proper warm-hearted show about a difficult subject of, you know, not being able to have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, hence the title Trying. That's not a spoiler. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so, I mean, so the old system still does produce some people, but they now feel like outliers um, as opposed to shows which have come from completely different angles. Um and obviously, you know, the, what will the long-term legacy of two abnormal Edinburgh festivals be uh, to uh, TV comedy? I don't know. Well, that's a, uh, we'll, we'll t- talk to about Edinburgh in a, in a minute. But just before we get to that, uh, I was going to say, um, actually, well, we won't talk about it now, but we'll, we'll talk about it in another show probably. But um, the, um, yeah, so the, the situation you have then is you've got, very, very le- less of this sort of middle ground, and the middle by mm. the middle ground we mean BBC Four, for instance, um, and cuts to BBC Two or BBC One or whatever. Um, but then you, you you've got this at the sort of higher end now. You are starting to get these kind of the bigger indie companies, I say, like Objective and, and Lion and other ones, who are now that they they are kind of a little bit in demand in America, and so we are sort of going to be. Uh, slightly dependent on and hopeful for, you know, kind of some big American bucks coming our way. But I think that's Mm. for people starting out uh, as writers. I'm not sure how, you know, how relevant that is or, you know, even for, even for you and me, you know, are we going to, are we going to see any of that, James? What do you think? Well, I don't know. I mean, it's such, it's such a shame to me. I think the, the great example I would always use is, the Harry Potter movies. What could be more British mm. than the Harry Potter movies written by J.K. Rowling, starring the cream of British acting talent set in a British style boarding school, albeit with some magic filmed in the UK at, you know, places like Annick Castle. Why is that a Warner Brothers production? Mm. They get all the money and they give some of it to J.K. Rowling uh, as they should but you just think oh well we don't have the money to make it in in the uk what in london the largest financial center in the world you know certainly in the top three and no one's prepared to take a punt on british acting writing directing producing talent you know that's right oh yeah you know people like ridley scott you know british I suspect it's just like, were... what, Christopher Nolan? Yeah, no, there's nothing for them here. It's like, this, this doesn't make any sense. I suspect there were other factors at play there, uh, whereby I guess that a company like Working Title, I'm sure, would have been very happy to have uh, produced um, uh, Harry Potter movies. But I, I, I guess that um, the, the biggest money people probably uh, got to. Uh... Well, oh, yeah, no, but why, why don't we have the biggest money people? Uh, because we have the biggest money. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I, but it's like there's tons of investment for, or, you know, automobile manufacturers and yeah. that kind of thing. It's just like, I mean, I think Armando makes a good point. So I'm I'm not one for government intervention in anything. But if you are, which most people are, 
Armando Anucci points out it makes no sense for the government to not be um, subsidising, you know, helping, encouraging, nurturing the UK's greatest exports, which is culture. Yeah. Um, so it just seems, you know, we used to have Ealing comedies and Ealing film studios and all that kind of stuff. And they still shoot Bond movies there, you know, about a British spy yeah. shot in Britain. Is it a British company? No. Um, so I, it's in one sense, I think we're already um, fine with the international market for the English speaking world financing stuff and I don't think anybody cares anymore clearly I mean for me to bang on about it makes me sound all a bit Brexity but um clearly everyone's over it so maybe it doesn't matter I mean AMC want to make comedy in the UK yeah so what yeah get, you know what I mean I get to tell my story about naval ships trying to find the northwest passage and create some weird monster that freaks the living daylights out of them and starts eating them one by one uh that's not spoilers that's pretty much sort of baked in early on right um so um the fleets engage the fleets engage well, that's just it i mean in a way therefore you don't get any kudos in taking it back to what scripts are we going to write mm. you know what are you going to write write something brilliant write something exciting because mm. you don't know who's paying for it how much it costs to film what channel it'll be on mm. um uh, you know. So potentially, just to think, just uh, because uh, while we're talking about the sort of British British versus global argument, so uh, Channel Four is the next one that I just wanted to have a, a quick mention of. Channel Four is uh, has kind of come through COVID just about you know bruised, but but still still going, and they are talking about almost turning into like a sort of like a streaming company they right. are talking about you know competing with netflix or whatever um to which i say well bloody get all four sorted in that case because you know that is really it's uh, not a happy experience I mean, the reason it? the main reason i think people like streaming over anything else is there's no adverts on it um, and that's, you know, and, and there are so many adverts on all four, but also, you know, there's no subtitles. It makes it, it's virtually unwatchable, I would yeah. say. And we, you um, know, we watched the first series of Derry Girls. So the reason I haven't watched it and the reason we haven't watched it is because we, we found it hard to understand and there were no subtitles. Well, first series is on Netflix with subtitles. Fantastic. We started watching the second series last night. And, you know, it's just really, it's, it's just the, the accents are very thick. And there's a, you know, the Channel 4 ethos is, hey, you know, you've got to, you've got to kind of, uh, this is what it's like, you know. But, yeah, okay. But this is also, it's not real life. It's fiction. And, you know, if I can't watch the show because I can't quite understand and you, you think, you know, of what's funny daddy to give people subtitles well you know no one's going to watch it <laughs> that's uh, mm. uh, uh and you know no one's going to watch shows with that amount of adverts when they can choose to watch netflix and all the other stuff really so oh, yeah, um, all it makes me do is just if there's anything on channel four for goodness sake record it on your freeview box so that you've got it you know recorded as if it's on a vhs tape because i just can't face watching anything on the on the uh, full player it's just like oh yeah. spare me so if um, they do if they do sort those things out you never know i mean channel 4 could become a sort of a you know a kind of hbo sort of company maybe you know uh, yeah i mean the other sort of elephant in the room 
I don't know if the elephant is in the room, but I'm going to mention him anyway. Uh, it's Channel 5. Yeah. Um, so I have Channel 5's um, commissioning thing in front of me, and I've just searched for the word comedy, and it doesn't appear um, on that page. something with Simon Pegg in 1993 or something once in there. Um... It, called, we, uh, we, it was one of the first programmes. So if you go to their commissions page and you have pictures of Adrian Padmore and Danny, Daniel Pearl and Dan Liu and Denise uh, Senevaratne, um, Emma Westcott, Greg, they're all commissioning editors for factual entertainment. Um, and, you know, uh, I can't find any reference to comedy in it. Acquisitions, uh, they, you know, they talk about um, Comedy Central, which is the only bit that's not in bold. Um, so you just, and they are now linked, aren't they? I think they're owned by the same people, by Paramount or something like that. Um, well, so but many... they've just had a good, but, but just to round off the thought channel five, I suspect have had a very good experience with, um, all creatures, great and small, which is basically a comedy. Yeah. I mean, the books are comedy. The way they did it was, was nice. Um, and it, it sort of felt a bit dramery, but fundamentally it was a comedy yeah. and none the worse for it. And it was very watchable. I watched it with my kids and we, we loved it. We watched every episode. I wonder if they might start to dip their toe in because they, I think they've sort of realized that there is a kind of mainstream untapped sensibility out there. Um, and if you, in a way, if you can finance a deal so that they get to show it first, um, then, then they'll probably do it. I mean, I think that's how they do an awful lot of their stuff. Um, but yeah, so maybe, maybe channel five, um, are, uh, are ripe for this sort of thing, but who can tell? Yeah. So I think to just, I'd like to sort of round off with a bit of good news, really, I think, because we have <laughs> we have been a little bit kind of down on this. But uh, I think I, I'm interested this summer. I think stand up might make some sort of return like like kind of uh, outdoor, outdoor, outdoor gigs or something, uh, uh, you know, so small and new and innovative i think will be a kind mm. of interesting for uh, uh for interesting time for people starting out a chance to kind of do sort of do something unusual a comedy does find a way i think uh, as you were saying online does continue to a flourish and b get easier to, mm. to make um and i think those are those two developments or that certainly the second development was happening a lot before covid and it's going to happen more and that's kind of a good thing but it is still that's the kind of that is still the doing it for love end yeah. rather than for money i thought it just occurred to me I'm, i can't be the first person to think of it whatever the edinburgh festival are planning and it's still not clear what what the concrete plans are yet i mean it's like if COVID restrictions are, well, you can only have 10 people in a room, you have to say, well, that's 68% of yeah. all fringe shows unaffected uh, by COVID. I may have made that point on this show when we, I think we had someone on and so yeah. you, know, you could only have six people in your audience. So I thought yeah. well, that would have been a win for me, some editors. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Six. So it's, yeah, yeah. But so we, we await that. But in many, many ways, this will possibly give us a, a return to a true fringe um more outdoor stuff innovation you know yeah this is part of the creative destruction nobody likes it to living through it but usually the results are quite interesting yeah yeah so um there are many reasons to be cheerful beyond the fact that people like to laugh yes and if you can write a script that will make the person reading it laugh 
then you're on to something. Yeah. So keep going. That would be my advice. Yeah, I think so. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's a nice point to end, I think, for today. Yeah. So, so um, just to wrap up, to say, do join us on Patreon to support the show if you enjoy these uh, ramblings. Then uh, we would love you to join us, support the show. But also, if if you uh, have a look on the Patreon site, uh, you'll see that there is essentially an extra podcast a month. Uh, that you can be part of if you join us on the Zoom chat and ask us anything. So that's every month, an extra podcast for Patreon members um, at the very basic level. So join us for that and you get copies of our books uh, as well. But then if you look, you'll just see a higher level uh, where there's an extra monthly proper old masterclass. Uh, We just did our first one of those uh, uh, last week and it was uh, great fun, really interesting. We talked in real detail with a small group of people and um so if you want to be part of that uh then then join up with that too and uh follow us on twitter um at sitcom geeks and follow dave uh on uh who's what, what's your twitter handle these dave, days dave? dave cohen comedy dave cohen comedy yeah. i'm sitcom geek singular uh and my youtube channel's the situation room so there's some how-to videos yeah so uh, on there too and just to say we did we talked about how how to get an agent that was our kind of very big in-depth thing that we did last time and we're probably going to talk about uh pitching how to pitch that's probably going to be our yeah. next uh yeah. workshop and it's probably so loads of really good practical advice uh you know so uh, do yeah. do join us on patreon I, for that i learned a hell of a lot, <laughs> lot yeah always talking about it i always sort of refresh my thinking on a variety of things and hearing where people are and the fact that the industry that we started in is not the industry that it is now and everybody's at a slightly different stage so uh, we're all learning it's good fun to do together isn't it yeah okay well uh, thanks very much for listening and we will see you again in a fortnight cheerio cheerio